Hey everybody, it is episode 57 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris joining you from Austin, Texas with Steve. Hey Steve. Hello Chris. Hello podcast world. We are excited to come at you today with listener questions again. We've been collecting them over the last several months and we since we did our last listener questions podcast. So we've got at least six that we're going to go through today. And as a reminder, you can always send us questions. You might end up on an episode my email is just chris at rogue running so we're going to be covering off six listener questions from all over the globe actually literally and we're super excited to talk about that on a variety of topics that i think will hit a bunch of different things that'll be interesting for the listeners of course as always we've got a couple of intro items current events we've got to talk about and as we record this on a thursday it is january 11th this will publish on a monday after the event in question, so the, we'll, they'll but we're gonna, they'll be able to but, be but tested. at least we'll have the at least we'll have the prediction out right. there. So the Houston Marathon and Half Marathon is this weekend. I'm running the marathon, so there's at least one thing you can look out for, or at least look back to if you're listening to this on a Monday or Tuesday to see my result. The goal there for me would be to to secure a PR, which would be faster than 245.48. So you can go. Look up my result now <laughs> and see if I got it done. And then, but some really awesome elite races this weekend, particularly the half marathon is stacked, 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 both from a international field perspective, but also from a U.S. field perspective. And so even though we're doing this before, it'll publish after, we still want to give our predictions so that you can go look it up and see if we were right this week as you listen to this episode. So let's start with the women's half, Steve. Because, as I believe we, we kind of touched on at some point, we've got the pr- a preview of the Boston battle, at least partial preview of the Boston battle coming up. We've got Molly Huddle, Jordan Hesse, both in the Houston half field. And it has been rumored that they're going to go for the American record, which would be to break Dina Castor's American record of 107 and change. Molly's been within seven seconds of it. Jordan's been within 21 seconds of it. There's also three East Africans in the field that have both run under 106. So the assumption is that with good weather coming in Houston, the pace is going to be blistering fast. And, you know, we've got to ask ourselves two questions. One, will the American record go down? And two, if it goes down, is it Molly or Jordan that's going to take it? So what do you think, Steve? I think it's going to go down. I think it's been nigh time for that record to go down you know Dina Castor said it you couldn't ask for a, a, a better person to hold the record for an extended period of time but I think that that record has gone on for too long and uh, the weather conditions being as they will at this course and as you know Chris this course is on the half side it's blistering fast it's such a really fast course and I think those East Africans don't give two shits about what happens with the <laughs> with the American record. So they're going to be going for a win, banging each banging it out and going out fast. So, um, yes, I do think the record is going down. Um, I'm not sure who will win the race, but you didn't really ask that. So you asked who would Jordan win, who would Molly. break the American record. Yep. I think both athletes will go under the American record, but I think Molly will win and i think this will be the last time that molly will beat jordan Hesse at any distance longer than the 10k 
So I think Molly could still beat Jordan at the 10K, but I don't think may be able to beat her beyond this. But I think that this will be the last time Molly beats Jordan head-to-head in a half or a full marathon distance. So that's a pretty bold prediction and one that will stretch on for extended periods <laughs> of time. But uh, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be tight. I just think Molly's wheels are going to be too good for Jordan. Jordan did accelerate at the end of the Houston, of the uh, Chicago Marathon. I was incredibly impressed by that. I've mentioned that on the podcast already once and still think it was one of the most impressive final 200 meters I've seen in a pretty inexperienced and relatively new-to-the-marathon athlete. But I still think Molly just has enough wheels and enough grit and enough ability to make it to the finish line, and I think she'll get the American record, and Jordan will break it at some other future point. So... The thing about half marathons that's a little bit maybe counterintuitive is the fact that 10K translates better to half fitness Way better. than half fitness translates to marathon fitness. Yes. And physiologically, that's just the way it works. And so you've got an athlete in huddle whose real strengths are recently at those shorter distances, and she's kind of moving up versus Jordan, who's proven that she's the marathoner right so for her to come down it's a little harder than for molly to go up in this case so i agree i would agree with you so i agree with you i think huddle takes this one breaking the american record i think they'll both probably get under the american record it'll be interesting to see how much they break it by dina ran 67 34 and molly's pr is 67 41 but i would imagine those East Africans are going to break 67. And so I think there is a question for both these two. Do they go with the leaders or do they hang back and kind of look at each other and kind of go head to head versus each other for the American record? My gut tells me that Molly's going to go. I would think with so. With the leaders. I mean, that's typically the way she likes to run. I mean, you know, and, and she may even go to the front to try to control the race a little bit from the front because she's does she's not afraid to do that. And I think if that happens, <coughs> excuse me, it could be interesting that yeah. maybe she sets herself up to fade a little bit at the end, and Jordan maybe she can, gets Enfield. Jordan, maybe she come. gets the, maybe she gets yeah, she, she gets nipped by like she did at yeah. the World Champs by Emily. So, so that could happen. I think that's the only chance that Hase has to win this because last year she proved in running Houston where she let those leaders go and she had to kind of run by herself that she can kind of bang out miles by herself. Jordan, that is. So I think her only chance, Jordan's only chance, is if Molly goes out and with a hot, hot early pace, and somehow it's too hot, like they go out in 65, 30 pace or something like that, because it's possible. You know, one of these women on the African side is she's run under 66. So yep. the women in the front have the pedigree to make this a really fast race. So depending on what happens there, that can maybe change the dynamic. But I still think Molly's going to win this one. I think she'll break the American record. I think Jordan will also get under the American record because the weather's going to be perfect. Yeah, I do think, you know, I was as you were just talking there, Chris, I thought back to Chicago again. And the one thing that I'm not 100% confident of that you just said is that Jordan will lay back because she did at Chicago prove that, at least at the marathon distance, she was okay to play, and she yeah, was yeah. willing to get in there and mix it up. And I wasn't half- saying she would lay back necessarily. Right. Because I tend to agree that Jordan is probably going to go with it. I think she wants I to think learn both more. both of them yep. you know, will want to go with it and kind of see what happens because they're going to be moving into uncharted territory, and part of 
learning the half and the full marathon is putting yourself in uncomfortable spots and seeing what happens. And so I think her plan will be to go with it, which is why I think Molly's going to ultimately win. But if Molly goes out hard and Jordan, for some reason, lays back a little bit, I think that's Jordan's only chance to actually beat Molly. That's my point, I guess. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. But Well, and her, you know, Molly's coach, Ray Tracy, said that she's ready to go, as ready as he's ever seen her for a half. And yeah. he's not a... He's not a blowhard. <laughs> he no. usually keeps no, it no. close to the vest. So yeah. the fact that he even said that means that he thinks. But I do think that he's sort of in that quote, at least the quote that's on the on the front page of Let's Run today, at least on this Thursday. Um, I didn't read the whole article, so I don't know if he's. It did seem like he was not discounting Jordan, but it was. He hopes that the race goes fast enough that she would have a chance at breaking Dina's record. But I do think that Jordan is going to be right there with her, and it'll be very tight. Um, and I don't. I do think Molly has the bigger imperative here, because Jordan's young and she's going to have multiple opportunities at this race distance again and again to get this a record. So I do think that. Um, I don't think that'll mean that that Jordan will be any less competitive in the race. I don't think she's going to roll over because of that. But I don't think that the imperative is there as quite as much as the imperative is there for Molly. Yeah, and it's but it's going to be good because you've got a field where they don't have to do the work themselves to get under the American record. That's going to be on the table for them, and they are going to have to follow and react and see what happens. So it's going to be fascinating. So if you're listening to this, the race already happened, but go check out and see the results. See if Molly did indeed get it done and if that American record fell. Now, on the men's half side, also blazing fast field, we've got... Adola from Berlin, who gave yep. Kipchoge a run for his money. He's probably the biggest name in the field. But you have a Kenyan athlete, Alex Corio, who's run 58-51. Faisa Lalisa, who's run 49-22, or 49-22, which is also the Houston course record. And then Jake Robinson from Robertson from New Zealand, who's That's trained, pretty cool. who's trained in Kenya yep. with his twin. Zane so it's a really fascinating field at the very front for the men and I think you're going to see a situation where the Houston course record goes down then the question becomes of the Americans behind that you know who's going to be first American I don't think they're I don't think we have an American in this field who can break 60 and compete with those big names but you've got Luke Piscadra who recently has said he's training now in Eugene with OTC Elite You've got Diego Estrada, who's won this race before, Sam Chalenga, and old man Bernard Lagat. Which is crazy. I didn't know he had a half marathon personal best, but apparently he's run 62 and a half. And he comes in at the age of 43, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. Who's your pick for first American on the men's side? Chalenga. I think that... Uh, Scott I, Simmons. I think that that connection is... Project. Yeah, those guys, you've... I've been following them on social media and seeing the kind of work that they've been putting in. And every one of those guys, that group is getting faster and faster and faster and faster. So I think that I am very interested to see how Pesquedra's shift with Roland works. It was really interesting to say that he said in, in, a, in an interview that he's doing different training than he'd ever done before, which was kind of surprising to me. But I don't really know exactly what Roland's does. I got the, I got the opportunity to talk with Coach Roland at the Rio Olympics at a nightclub. He was a little less than op 
uh, interested in talking <laughs> track and field with me, but but I I made a stab at it. He pretty much just said, uh, "Get out, get out, get out of here. I got to have another beer. I have another beer." But um, I, I I was surprised to to hear that Luke say that he's been training in a very different way. But I just think Chalenga has got the wheels. He's got. He's got the the group, and I don't think these other guys can roll with him. I would love to see Diego get his head out of his rear end, get it done. He's had some really big up and ups and downs, and it seems to me, based on his training, that that's mostly what's going on. Something's going on with him on race day, rather than what's going on in his training. But, um, and of course, if everybody if they let it sit around and they let the old man, old man, old man River and old man Lagat sit in there, they let's hope that they're smart enough to know to get away from the guy. But if they decide to sit around and go for you know the na- the the national championship in the half marathon, uh, they're going to be all going to be in big big trouble. If that race goes under sixty one thirty for the for the American, I don't think that I don't think that Bernard will be able to go with that. But if right. it's if it's sixty one thirty or slower, Bernard will be in it. So you know, but I'm going to pick Chalenga for the win and. For the not for the win, but for the for the U.S. championship, and I'm gonna pick um, Adola for the men's win. I didn't pick the women's. I don't know those women close enough, and I didn't really do my homework and research to figure out which of the women would win it. But I think Adola, the way he ran at, ball, at Berlin, his confidence has got to be through the roof. Um, and I think that um, I've never even heard of Alex Corio, which is cr- which is crazy when you think about a not knowing who a guy that's a 51, 58. 5851 guy, I don't even know who he is. Eighth fastest in history. It's crazy. But um, I think I'd have to go with Adola for th- for the win with just given his pedigree and where his where his racing has been. Well what about you? I don't really care about the first place guy, honestly. I think the American first American is more interesting discussion. You know, Sam I think has the resume the be- you know, he has the best personal best. He's got the mojo of that group. ADP with Scott mm-hmm. Simmons, where they're just crushing things. His overall racing success, though, <laughs> at the half marathon and beyond, isn't very good. So that's where I worry about him. As I, I'm not sure that he has the racing magic when it comes to the longer distances. So just to make it interesting, I'm going to pick Luke Puskedra coming off the confidence of a new group, a new system. He seemed to be in his interview talking about his shift really happy and excited and positive and saying things like he's training better than ever and so forth. And sometimes it just takes that kind of confidence to bring you into a race and feel like you can do no wrong when really there's not a lot on the line here. You know, this is, I mean, they're not going for the win. So they're just kind of competing for first American. Uh, is this even a U.S. champs? I don't even think it is. I think it's it just, may not be. I think it's I just, I just race. assumed just it was a fast race. I mean, it has been in the past, but I don't think this is actually the U.S. champs. So, you know, so there's, and maybe that that helps Sam out a little bit because it takes some pressure off. But I'm going to go with Piscedra on the confidence of a new group, and we'll see. We'll see. You'll we'll know. See. You, your listeners will already know the go answer. Go check to this. it who out. Is, go look right. it up. Go look up to see who is right. All right. Now, kind of segueing to the next sort of current-ish event. We talked about Molly and Jordan on the women's side. They're both racing Boston in April against Shalane. And there was recently some information that came out from Shalane's camp that she's going to be doing some indoor racing this winter, which I think is really interesting. You know, she's a 3K and 5K indoor record holder still for the Americans. And, you know, those distances don't necessarily get your best results because oftentimes the best athletes don't race indoor at all. 
because it's too much to do in a given year if you're trying to peak for the summer. But it's just interesting that she seems to be following the roadmap she laid out in advance of New York, which is she did some track 5Ks and 10Ks over the summer, came back and won New York. So now she's going back to the short stuff indoor before Boston to see if she can sharpen the knife even more, which I think is really fascinating. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because it seems like she's sort of, and I'm sure her mileage is still crazy big, but, you know, she has that aerobic base, that aerobic engine from seven years of marathon training and from who knows how many years of doing volume under Schumacher. So now they're just saying, look, we want to be able to close the deal in the last 10K like she did in New York, and it takes a little bit of sharpening work to do that. So it's really fascinating from a coaching perspective to look at this. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, and we know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the conversation we had with Steve Jones a couple months, a month, a month and a half ago. You know, yeah. it's cut. It's an old school move. Um, the best workout that you could possibly do at a 5K or 3K distance is a 5K or 3K race. It costs more than doing that a workout that way, but the physiological benefits that she's going to get from that are going to be extreme, and they're going to be. It's going to be really good for her. So, um, I do think there's. I would, I would, the only thing that worries me just a little bit is, is she going to run on a bank track or a flat track? If she runs on a 200-meter flat track, that worries me a little bit. But if she's going to run on a 300-meter flat track, if she's going up to Seattle to do it up there, I just worry a little bit about injury. Not not given her age so much, just more along the lines of running on that sh- on a short 200-meter track is can be problematic running on the 300 meter track is a big difference so it'll be interesting to see where she where she races what races she runs and um it, it, it would be very interesting if she runs anything less than 3k i doubt she will but um it'll be very interesting to see what she does but i think it's genius i think it's a great idea and i think um i wish we saw more people doing this more more folks using races at the highest caliber and and you know she's probably not going to go into those races worrying too much about what her what her what her place is. She's probably going to go into that making sure she gets the best effort she can possibly get out of herself on that given day, given the circumstances and the situation. Yeah, and so. there's the physiological benefit of kind of working the fast twitch work, yes, and then also the mental of just having to suffer. Like you know we've said, a five k can be both similar to a marathon. Yep. In terms of mental suffering, so you know just mixing it up and getting used to that and in really intense doses, especially if in these races it comes down to the final 5 10k to to win yep so it's fascinating and i think it's a sign and i think you're maybe if if you know this continues to work for your lane you're you're gonna see others maybe do this because you've got and and desi linden she's been doing that and she's been racing cross country she's gonna be this weekend racing i think in the edinburgh uh, cross country Mm -hmm. race so she's been working that into the spectrum too to try to get her wheels turned on so I think you're going to see maybe with some of the other Americans this change from just going marathon to marathon every six months to maybe realizing that, hey, if we're going to compete with the world's best, we got to work all levels, which is just a reminder for all of us that are marathon training that, hey, you still got to work the fast stuff. Otherwise, you're going to get stale and stagnant at, at the marathon. Well, our, our folks were looking at targeting CIM again this next year, Chris, and my whole crew is, is going to be doing 5K, 5K, 10K specific uh, training block in uh, in the summer. So, you know, we do the same thing. We just don't usually race as much. <laughs> right. But, but you know, it, I still think it's a great thing for everybody to do and everybody to consider. It's great to see Shalane doing it. I think it's going to pay off for her in spades. 
Me too. It makes me even more excited for that matchup because yeah. it shows that she's also back in the game. Yes. Like she's not resting on her laurels at all. And she's going to give those young bucks a run for their money. And she's not going to stick to the same tried and true method necessarily. She's turning over a different leaf, checking, working all the different bases and making, looking at it for the best examples, best circumstances she can to get the best results she can. So it's exciting. Yep. Okay, before we go into our main topic, listener questions, Steve, we've got a little segue of sorts talking to you about Camp Elevation. You've been dialing in from Colorado a few times we've referenced on here. You guys, you and your partner Ruth, have a place in Colorado where you're doing some high-altitude, essentially distance-based camps at Camp Elevation, this property in Colorado in Buena Vista. So tell us more about it because I know you guys got some stuff coming up in 2018. Yeah, so we've kind of kept this. Not it's, It hasn't been under wraps in, in our part of the country, but we haven't really said too much about it. Um, trying to get it dialed in and get it to work. But basically, Camp Elevation um, has been a dream of Ruth and I's for like 10 years. We, when we first, Actually, even longer than that, when we first met, we both talked about how we wanted to get up out of the heat of the summer in Texas and get up to a, much, to a better location. I was born in Colorado. Ruth's got family up there. So we... Um, we end up finding this amazing property in Buena Vista, Colorado, which is Buni, Buena Vista, I should say, for all the Coloradans out there. They would get mad at me for saying it the wrong way. But basically, we put on about four different kinds of camps. Well, we're doing a, a the first one we're doing is in March um, over spring break, uh, March 15th through the 18th. We're doing a Boston Marathon strategic sort of intensive where we're basically going to go through the entire Boston Marathon course and talk through things. So, you know, we do, and then we're also doing mental training um camps up there we've got a couple of mental training camps uh where we talk about some of the stuff that we we go through the stuff practically that you and i've been talking about on this podcast and giving folks um a real step-by-step-by-step process and then an opportunity to meet with me one-on-one to go through their statement of purpose and go through their goals and we we go through these with a fine-tooth comb and try to tease out some of the things that we think are important um for the mental training aspect and then we've got some trail stuff where we do some introduction to trail running you know as i've I've always pushed many times that I think the best form of cross training a person can do is actually trail running. So we've got some introductory trail running things, and we also have some big monster epic trail running things, getting people ready for the Leadville 100. And but people who have some interest in this stuff, um, check out our website. It's CampElevation.com. I've got tons of details there. It's got my email address, Steve at CampElevation.com. Um, for anybody that's interested or has any questions about it, we've got some early bird pricing going on right now, which is a hundred dollars less than you would than than the payment would be normally. And um, we have lots of information on that website. I don't want to spend too much time advertising because it always makes me feel weird and uncomfortable. But it's really good stuff, and we're I'm really excited about where I can go. And uh, we've got a wide variety of dates and times, and so maybe hopefully folks will be interested in it. So, and just to clarify, I mean we're talking small groups like. Six to eight. Six to eight people. Yep. And, and once you get there, you got to figure out how to get there. But then everything's kind of included. Lodging, correct. food, et cetera. Lodging, food. We feed you well. We take care of you. We we, tra- we take you to everywhere you need to go. We also um, we mix a, a bit of roads and trails with this. So you uh, get a little bit of trail running for those who are not, are not really that keen on the trail running. We've got lots of road courses. Um, we do a long run. But mostly what we do, Chris, is talk about our, our topic, um, at least when it comes to the mental training thing. So the listeners of this podcast who might have felt a little uncomfortable or are not really sure where to go with our mental training stuff and need some help really dialing in and getting it 
um, doing a deep dive on the mental training concepts with, uh, with, with the, in a small group environment. Um, we'd love to have you come out there. Uh, again, there are li- it's, the space is limited, so if you're interested, uh, contact me or, or check out our website. We've got more information there. So that's, that's, all the, uh, that's, that's my pitch. Cool. And the reviews have been raved so far on those that have stayed up at Camp Elevation, at least those I've, uh, I've talked to you. So check it out, campelevation.com. All right, so we're talking listener questions, Steve, just to give this everybody... Is, we did this a couple months ago, and it was this, fun. Yeah, it was fun. We've got some good ones, and and so we want to definitely encourage you. Keep sending your questions, and if you don't hear back, usually I respond on email, at least some short-term answer, but but sometimes I, we don't get to it because we do get a lot of questions. So if you send an email in, don't worry. You, you, you're going to make it on keep, eventually. Yeah, we've got, we, I've got one in here from October, so... <laughs> So we've got some that we and I only know about one of these. So the rest of them, <laughs> right? Right. You, you're, you're prepped, and I'm not so much. Exactly. So, uh, and we haven't talked about the answer. So that's the other part right. to emphasize. Exactly. We don't know where this is going to go. We're not scripting right We're now. We're not scripting yep. this, and we may disagree. So that could create an interesting dynamic. This first question is fascinating to me because it. I'm not sure how you're going to answer, <laughs> and honestly. I I don't know how I would answer either. I've been kind of thinking about it. So this one uh, is from Luke, and he actually is a triathlete, and so is coming to us with a question on how he can improve his time on the running portion of his sprint triathlons. And so he's just trying to figure out how to kind of mix things up to get the right amount of speed out of his running work while still trying to do the other disciplines. So he says, my question is, I want to get from 6.15 pace 5K in my sprint triathlons to 6 flat this season. Since I train for three events and try to do each three times per week, I am having trouble prioritizing my run types. What running speeds and distances would you recommend for my three runs per week? I was thinking an interval day, a tempo day, and then a 10K base day for about 12 miles per week. This is paired with 50 plus miles biking and 3,000 meters of swimming. I know you guys are big on building a base, but finding this, but I find this training stress of a 10 mile weekend run too much and not as beneficial toward my goal. Is my thinking off, or should I stay the course and just adjust intensity as I improve? It's a really big question, Chris. There's a lot of pieces to that, right? Uh, A lot of pieces to that. So, I have a lot of experience working with triathletes. So. And um, my partner, Ruth, who we were just talking about, she was a triathlete for a long time and coached triathletes for a long time. So um, I am by no stretch of the imagination a a triathlon coach, but I know the 5K really well. So here's the thing, Luke. Number one, miles matter. And there's no way that you can get around the fact that to get the kind of results you want to gain to get 15 seconds per mile faster for a 5k is a pretty substantial jump that's a 45 second jump in a 5k you've got to have the capillarization and the mitochondrial base to be able to pull that off and you've got to do sorry to tell you this but the most important day of the week for you is going to be your long run even if you're only running three days a week that's my first statement is that i don't think he can get away with not doing the long run and I think that he would be better off doing a, and I would suggest even for a 5K that he'd be in the realm of 12 to 14 miles for his long run is where I would be. And I would keep those long runs, um, you know, probably somewhere in the range of 730, 
eight minute pace at the very fastest for that for that. And I wouldn't do any fast closes or anything else in those. I would just keep them aerobic massage work. That's what I would do because I agree with him. The other two days of the week, you can do one day that's sort of interval-based and one day that's threshold-based, and I think he'd be doing pretty well there. Um, and, uh, but, and, and, but I think that that's the big piece, Chris, that he's going to have to look at. And for Luke, you're also going to have to look at it from a long-term perspective, too. You're not, you're not going to see the benefit of that long run for you know six months, nine months. Um, so I hate, I hate to tell you this. There's no hack. There's no shortcut. <laughs> Well, we agreed mostly, or I was in agreement with you until you went to uh, you know keeping the interval in the simple day. I actually think that's his problem. He's got two quality days for his mm-hmm. run, mm-hmm. and then he's trying to do a you know when he has done it, trying to do a third day, which is a long run, which is in our world uh, also an intense day. It's a hard day. And so yes. the reason why he's ten these ten mile weekend runs are killing him is because he's doing too much intensity on his other runs. And who knows what there that what he's doing on intensity wise for the the swim and the bike. So, I would actually say, build the long run, get it to twelve to fourteen miles, easy with no intensity during the week while he's building to that point, and then add another day, probably alternating intervals versus like tempo across a couple weeks. To me, that's the formula. So that's going to allow you to actually get the long run work done, get that aerobic fitness that you need. Because my guess is if he can run a 6.15 pace 5K at the end of a sprint triathlon, speed isn't his issue. Correct. It's the ability to sustain his speed after an hour's worth of aerobic work. And that the only way to work on that strength is to do the long run. Yes. Um, now, I will agree with you that he's probably overdoing it. I was saying run the five, doing the, the interval-based work and the tempo-based work because I'm not sure we're going to be able to talk Luke into not doing that. And so I was just trying to be a practical person instead of optimal. <laughs> Honestly, Chris, if, they, if he wanted to do something, the best thing he could possibly do is, is to work his transition from bike to run. So that day, is, this is especially crucial for those folks who are doing sprint triathlons and Olympic distance triathlons the transition from the bike to the run, think about how short that 5K race is, and he's spending the first half mile of that just trying to deal with the shit that's in his legs from getting off the bike and pushing a big gear really hard. I don't know if he's draft legal in his sprint distances. You know, that that makes a little bit of a difference, but it is very hard for those guys to get off the bike, guys and girls to get off the bike ready. So if he hasn't done any brick work, which is basically just do what you normally do on the bike, whatever your workout is, but work your transition in and out and jump into 6.15, six-minute pace for 800 meters or a mile after a cycling workout. That would probably be a incredibly valuable effort for him to do. But again, you and I are not triathlon coaches, but I, just, but I do know that transition is crucial, and it's more crucial for the shorter the distance of the triathlon. You're right. And we're not, but I have done triathlons, sprint all the way up to half Ironman, so I know a little bit about this myself. And I do know that not only do you have that wobbly leg transition bike to run, you also have an elevated heart rate. Your heart rate spikes a little bit as you transition activities, and then it comes back down once you settle in. And so working that transition to keep that heart rate from spiking too much so that you can actually make the most of that first mile is important. And so... Yeah, but I mean, I think we're saying the same thing. 
We are. Essentially. Essentially. But I do think if Luke's going to get there, he needs to prioritize that long run, get it up to 12 to 14 miles, and not do a lot of quality running work until he's comfortable with that 12 to 14 mile long run. And then layer back in the other stuff, probably starting with the brick transitionary work first and then layering in maybe intervals and tempo alternating weeks. That's how I would lay it out. Yeah, he needs to not disregard the threshold work, though, Chris. We know, you know, we know how important that physiologically that range from 10K all the way up to half marathon is for an athlete's physiological development. Um, it doesn't always make sense for people, especially triathletes, why they would do something nonspecific. But there's just as we talk about with the long runs value physiologically, there's also a lot to valuing that threshold work but he you're right he doesn't need to do that every week in right. fact he probably will benefit more from doing it every other week so right um yeah it's still important very important but i also you know again it's like you got to get that long run to a sustainable place first and we're 100 percent in agreement yep. with that that's the okay. crucial piece because luke if you can do that and trust us on this you'll find that you're able to sustain that work and it will it will pay benefits for you versus feeling beat up all the time yep I, you're, and you're right i hadn't really i wasn't really paying attention to his the i was just thinking through the workouts not as you were reading that chris and not paying attention to the fact that he was tired so almost assuredly that is because he's 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 overtrained and we don't even know what he's doing and we know what he's doing in a pool because i had never met anybody that does <laughs> pool workouts that's not 100 percent hard right. all the time because right. it's just always hard all the time right so we're pretty sure that that's that that day is going to be hard no matter what so it's hard trap on you know i've i've always said if anybody was good at one sport they would have stuck with just one sport and not spread it out over three <laughs> um but i really don't feel that way it's just a joke i like to tell um, triathlon's hard to get ready for, man. And the Ironman, people who train for the Ironman, they get all the respect in the world. That is unbelievably difficult. But, yeah, Luke, get that long run up and keep it easy. And let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear if you get to that six flat in a sprint. Okay, Steve, speaking of big questions, <laughs> all, of, all of these are big questions, unfortunately. But this next one is, good, is a good one. This one comes from Stefan from switzerland and this might actually at some point deserve its own episode okay but i think we can at least kind of tee up the initial discussion here now so so he starts by saying basically he really enjoyed your point about asking yourself what does the race require mm. and then he goes on to this question which is is there any chance you guys could do an episode where you go through each of the common race distances, 10K, half, marathon, and go over the particular requirements from a physical point of view? This might help create a more suitable training plan for myself. I'm focusing on half marathons. My current PR is a 123.26 run in November 2017, and I'm trying to break 120 in the near future. I'm 34 years of age, so I consider a three to four minute improvement in the half still an attainable goal. But he's not quite sure how to make that jump. So we can start with the half. Well, the good news is what he's trying to get ready for is uh, is the easiest of all of them. <laughs> I mean, not from a training perspective, but from a conceptual and how you would structure training perspective. Because as I've said this a couple times on this podcast, I believe I've said it. I certainly say it to nearly every athlete I talk to. 
My the entire rogue system is based on half marathon training, even for our marathoners. We are f always doing half marathon work. It is, in my opinion, the most physiologically important area, you know, after the long run and after the aerobic development piece. And so, you know, what does your race require? The race requires um, a hefty dose of, of a wide variety of threshold paces. And so threshold doesn't, you know, people call them tempo runs or steady runs, blah, blah, blah. My recommendation is to do a good bit of 10K work, do a smattering and a scattering of what I like to call critical velocity. can't remember exactly which coach I stole that from, but just like all artists are cannibals and every poet's a thief, every coach is a thief as well. So I stole that from somebody. Um, but critical velocity is basically your 15K pace or um, 30 second. I mean, it's and it feature 15K pace. That's a hugely valuable area to hit. And then finally, a lot of, tempo work which is really true half marathon pace work so what your race requires physiologically um is a good bit of work in that zone without but making sure you put a little 5k stuff in there as well i mean really chris all of these if you're not going to go into each and every one with the full-on plan it's kind of like everything all the time <laughs> but that doesn't really answer stefan's question right so it, his real question we'll, is we'll focus on the half because that's what he's focused on right but i do think there's an episode where we maybe go through all of these in more depth but i want to say before you continue before i ra continue rambling <laughs> on that all of these distances whether it's the mile the 5k the 10k the half the 25k the 30k the marathon all of them require a massive aerobic base yes first Full stop. Yep. Right, miles yep. matter, as we've said. Nick Willis, who's a two-time Olympic medalist in the mile in the fifteen hundred, also runs a mile. He does eighteen-mile long runs almost every week. Yep. Because even if you're a miler, you need the aerobic strength to hold your speed for a really intense four laps. And if you're a half marathoner, you need the aerobic fitness to hold your speed that tempo effort for 13.1 miles so the first thing that all these distance require is a massive aerobic base and he doesn't mention anything about his aerobic foundation or the miles he's doing but that would be the first thing i would look at is trying to take your base level mileage and increase that by 10 to 15 percent but he doesn't need to do 20 plus mile runs. No. And that's that's really important though that if he's not focused on the marathon then there's no need to do marathon goal pace work and there's no need to do any runs over 20 miles unless he's going to have a marathon some at some future point and he might want to have one one every 4 weeks to 6 weeks just to be sure that he's I agree with, with that, that completely. 18 miles to me you know, most of my half programs will max at 16 just mm -hmm. because most half marathoners don't want to do 18-mile long runs. Right. But if I could write them the way I wanted them to and not have people be grumpy at me, they would be <laughs> doing 18-mile long runs. Because I think whether you're doing the mile like Nick Willis or you're doing a half or a marathon and you're just preparing your base for a marathon, 18 miles is about right. Absolutely. To be doing as consistently as possible because it's enough to get that aerobic development without so much that you get and risk injury because once you go to 20 things kind of change from an injury standpoint yeah, so my 800 based runners who were strength based did 16 and 18 mile runs yeah. even so if they had if they were developed enough to do that depending in my mind 
when I coached at the collegiate level, that was not the case. But, you know. So that's the first thing, Stefan, is get that long run up and get it up consistently. If you're not doing 16 to 18 miles, none of the rest of it matters, in my opinion. Then, as you said, that's when you got to layer in a variety of work of, you know, because you've got to be basically ready to have the aerobic strength of a marathoner with the speed of a 10K runner. Like that's what you're trying to do to, to, to run a fast half. And so that aerobic foundation from your long runs, pair that with the right mix of 5K, 10K work, critical velocity and tempo work, and that's the recipe. Yeah, there is another thing I would also suggest um, as I'm sitting here thinking about it. One of the things that's really crucial to a successful half marathon is being able to know where your edge is, Chris, and to know when you're going too fast and what you can sustain over a window of time and what you can't sustain. And the half marathon is very forgiving in your ability to go over the edge and then pull back, get recuperated and recovered, and go back to that edge. So I would also really encourage Stefan to do some workouts that had long fartlek sections in them where he pushed effort-wise beyond what he thought he could run. And maybe what I would suggest there is to do five minutes at 10K pace, right? And then his recovery should be like half marathon for two to three minutes. And then maybe do another one of that and do a couple blocks of that. So maybe I would write a, have a schedule. And I would maybe consider doing this occasionally in his long run. And that's to do... So to give a specific workout, it would be, let's say, I always like to put things in blocks of five or ten because it's easier for people. So you might go six minutes of 10K pace work, which for some people would be a close to a mile, and then four minutes at half marathon pace. Maybe do two of those. Or if you're really an advanced runner, maybe doing three cycles of that. So getting 30 minutes of that. It's a pretty hard workout. but. Yep. And, and it doesn't actually have to be that prescription. I'm just coming off, going off the cuff, right? So it could also be three and two, three minutes at 10K with two minutes at half to go to five-minute break. But what we're trying to get done there, Chris, is to let him get, to get Stefan to get to the edge, hold it, and then recover and recuperate at a fast pace, and then do it again and do it again. Because in order to run the time that he's going to want to run, he's going to feel occasionally, this is going to happen to Molly, at Houston, it's going to happen to Jordan at Houston. They're going to be at points in that race going, I don't know if I can sustain this pace to the finish line, but I have to do it. I'll trust later that I'll get recuperated and recovered as I can, and if I fall off the pace of the leaders, I'll be able to recuperate. And that's an incredibly important requirement of running a good half marathon. And it's something that won't come natural to most of our listeners. If they don't have a long-term competitive pedigree, it's going to be difficult for them to do. So that's something he'll want to work on and, 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 and push. You have any other things? That's it. That's it. I mean, I think that's the start. It's like one, get that long run up. Two, work a variety of paces. You want, and basically, what you're saying is you want you want him to learn to recover at half marathon pace. Correct. Essentially, essentially. so you're pairing up that 10k with the half marathon work, so that half marathon starts to feel easier compared to the other faster work next to Andy it. Andy finds that edge where that pace is comfortable, and the only way you do it is to go beyond it for extended bouts in a run that's long enough to simulate the tiredness on your legs. Um, so yeah. the other thing I'll mention to Stefan is that keep listening for news on our next podcast yes. training program. We've got one going now through April and May for marathoners. 
but we're going to be starting another one in May, another round that will likely cover other distances, including the half. So stay tuned for more information on that because so far it's going well for us. Okay, this next one is from Matthew, and he actually joined us for a long run. He dropped in. I think he was coming from Florida, and he emailed me and said, hey, I want to drop in. I need a long run. I could be making that up. Where he's, <laughs> where he's coming from? He was coming from somewhere else. He's actually doing the Houston Marathon. Ah, so maybe so we'll had, see him. He had a question this week for us about our Houston strategy, which I think applies beyond Houston. So, so here it goes. He said, "I just heard your podcast on the Houston Marathon strategy, which is where I'll be attempting my first BQ. Just turned forty, so three ten is my target." My plan is to sit with the 310 pacer the entire race, but I agree with both of your suggestions regarding starting off slightly slower the first few miles. How do I do that without going too fast in miles 4 to 10 trying to catch up with him or her? Maybe this is a question for the pacer, but I wonder if they will start off slow because of the crowds. Right. You know where I'm going to go with this one. <laughs> I mean, I, I served it on a silver platter, so take it. Uh, don't fucking trust the Pacers. That's the first thing I'm going to tell you is, listen, these people, no matter how good they are, we, we're we a sponsor of the Austin Marathon Pacers, and I think Austin Marathon Pacers, like the CIM Pacers, they do a really, really freaking good job, but still, they're humans, and who knows what in the heck's going to go on in their heads on that day? Who knows what plans they have? They're 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 not robots. They're they're just people, and so, you number one, do not count on that pacer or that pace group to be your arbiter, your your final. You need to pay attention to your own crap. But that doesn't mean that you wouldn't run with a pace group. I'm still a fan of running with a pace group. But number one is don't trust the pace group. <laughs> and I would especially not trust them at a race like Houston where, and this is nothing to do with who the pacers are. So any pacers out there that are pacing at Houston or know them, this is not denigrating the job that the pacers do at Houston. I'm not. I don't know whether they do a good job or they don't. I just know that that course is a super fast course, and there are very few reasons not to get excited about what goes on, which is why we wrote our strategy that way, right? Yeah. Go out slow, take <laughs> it easy, get yourself where you need to be. Just a little interesting. We got another one of our athletes, not one of our athletes, one of our 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 co-staff members has heard us say in our podcast last week that she should go fast for the first couple of miles. And <laughs> anybody that heard that or thinks that that's not true, we didn't say it. We go slow. But first of all, don't trust the pacers. Number two, you have 26.2 miles to catch them. Right. And by that time, by the time you might catch them at 14 or 15 or 16 or 18, if you just want to go under three, maybe you catch them at mile 21, mile 22. The later you catch them, the better it feels. That is so true. The earlier you catch them, the harder it is. So, listen, what was his name, John? Matthew. Matthew. Don't worry about it. Follow your plan, and you'll catch the pace group when you pet catch the pace group um, because they're going to have two guys, likely, or two girls, likely. One is going to be on the fast end of it. One's going to be on the slow end of it, and they're going to be trying to corral their crew, and it's going to be this amorphous blob that you're not going to be able to control. So, Forget the pacers. Yes. Do your thing, and when you catch the pace group at 16 or 22 or whenever it is, figuratively in your mind, slap them on your on the ass and say adios, muchachos, <laughs> and, and go and roll on <laughs> past them and blow to the finish because they're because even the pacers are going to be hurting at that point in time. <laughs> well. First of all, just to be transparent, I did email Matthew back and basically give him that answer because he's going to need it because he's racing Yes, before this will before be published. But he'll get to hear us after the fact talking about him, and we'll, we'll know at that point whether we got it done. 
But I said the same thing. I said, look, why would you trust a stranger with your race? That's exactly I mean, you've right. been training. You've been doing all this work. And look, a lot of paces are great. You know, probably 80%, 90%. I don't know what the number is, but they're, they're great. They do a good job. But there's been too many times in races, and I saw this in Dallas when I was running with my wife at the half there. I don't remember what pace I was looking at, but there was a point where there was a pace... And we'll just—I'm just gonna make up a number. I'm just gonna say 4:15 was faster on the course <laughs> than 4:10. Oh yeah. And I'm like, what? Wait a minute. That's one example. Another example: we came by one group, and the guy was talking about how he was banking time, and I'm like, what? Whoa! Like, this, not you know. A good so idea. you just don't know what you're gonna get, and why would you trust a stranger? Trust your plan, follow your plan, and pass them when they come to you. Now. You know, we've talked about in the past how you could potentially use them as a reference point, particularly if you're starting with a slower pace group to, to make sure you're starting slow enough. That can sometimes be helpful, but you have to do it with your eyes wide open, knowing that they may fuck it up. And you're going to have to at least hold them accountable by looking at your watch to check and see if they're on track with whatever you're trying to do and not just blindly follow them. So the only reason I ever the only time I ever lean on a pace group for an athlete if i'm making a strategy for an athlete is if they're squirrely and i'm not sure they're going to be able to follow a plan i'll i will just i will just immediately put them with the pace group that's five minutes slower than the time that they want to run and tell them to stay with them through the first 10 miles because i know that even if this pace group leader screws it up they're probably not going to screw it up as bad as my athlete would <laughs> right so that's really the only time i ever really lean on a pace group leader and trust them when you trust the pacer you don't know when i trust the stranger the athlete, more than i trust know. my athlete yes there are occasions where that's happened and i and i in, in full disclosure and i literally tell the athlete that and because i have no problem calling them calling it as i see it for them because it's a long-term relationship and we're and i think that's one of the other things is that People think that the pace group leaders are, are, are experts at what they do. And as you know, Chris, as many times as you've trained and paced yourself or paced friends, it's a really hard thing to do. And there's, all, there's not enough time to practice being really good at it. Um, you know, we're sponsors of our pace groups, of the pace group leaders here in Austin. And we, they come and do three workouts every cycle, every training cycle with our athletes to help them work on pacing. And the pace group leaders knows... The head of the pace group leader, the whole, the whole, he knows that we're as valuable to his pacers as the paces are valuable to our athletes because they need that work. So realize that these guys and girls are, they should all be thanked. They're all doing a, a task that is, that is a great gift, but they're not foolproof. They're not perfect. They're not experts. And so you want to, you want to, you want to go your own way and, and follow your own plan. And Matthew, if you're listening to this, we hope you are listening to this after getting that BQ. We'll check in on that. All right, next question. This is from Sophia. Steve, this is the one question you did have directly emailed to you, so you know the question already. And it was to you, so it's fair that she wrote you with it. Sophia from Dickinson College, she says, at the beginning of the podcast, 44, when we were talking about listener questions the last time, you and Chris discuss your belief that the ADP WCAP program may be creating unfair competition in distance running. I was wondering if you could further explain why you believe Coach Scott Simmons and Dan Brown, why their program creates unfair training competition. And just so people know, we're talking about 
American Distance Project and the Army Training Group that has these imported Kenyan athletes that have gained U.S. citizenship in order to train. Leonard Career being one of them. Kip Shashir being another one. There's several of these athletes that we've Chalimo. talked about. Talimo. They've had really good results, and they're basically kicking ass here in the U.S. because they have this fast-track to citizenship through the program. You stated that it's unfair. What's your reaction to that question? My first statement to Sophia was that you and I, when we're doing this, we're usually off the cuff. I've had a beer or two probably nearly every single one of these uh, uh, podcast episodes we've ever done. Um, not that that is making me unsharp, but it will occasionally allow me to say things that I haven't. Number one, I haven't had the time to think through them all the way. Number two, I, I, I may not be entirely of the, of the state of mind to be conservative or, 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 or think through the implications. I think the most important thing is, is I don't really think it's a question of fairness. And if I stated that in that podcast, I really don't believe that. I'm not a real big believer in the idea of fair anyway. I'm not sure if you look at the law of the jungle or evolutionary behavior, whether fairness is something anyone or anything should ever expect. But I do think um, that, you know, the ADP doesn't, is the Austin Distance Project, I mean, uh, American Distance Project is certainly got way less resources, way less corporate sponsorship, way less uh, advantages than, say, the NOP or Bowerman or many of the other groups. And so I don't think that the ADP has any unfair advantage or anything other than um, just flat out they're just a bad they're just a badass training group and they're getting better and better as they go and what scott is doing with that group is just amazing to me and i'm I'm, i think it's really really cool now the world-class athlete program with the army is a little bit of a different thing um and i don't think that it's not fair i just think that to, to the training groups and to any competitive thing I think there could question there could be a question of whether it's there's a question of fairness of just the idea of giving citizenship to someone or some group because they happen to be extremely good at it. I know that our government has a long track of utilizing fast tracking citizenship in order to give exceptional people opportunities and to get them to be Americans. So I do think there's an argument for whether the world class athlete program is quote-unquote fair from a from a standpoint of getting your citizenship but i don't really care i think anybody excellent who has exceptional qualities should be able to get opportunities and, and maybe they've earned it i don't know that i'm not a judge of that um i am but i am all but i'm absolutely not for in any way shape or form importing athletes to get a national program to up to snuff and so now, which is what the country of Qatar, the country of Bahrain, and to the point now where the IAAF has put a stop to that, and they are, or at least a hiatus to anybody moving citizenship that way until they can get, a, get their arms wrapped around it, which I think is a really good thing. But anybody that's deciding to come to the United States to get opportunities to compete at the Olympics, good fucking luck. <laughs> we've, got, we've got one of the, I mean... I, I think the American team is harder to make than the, the, the Kenyan team because you have to do it on that day. You know what I mean? Right. But the Kenyan team, I could see a lot of reasons why Kenyans might want to run at the United States, but I don't think it's because of the easier track to making an Olympic team. I think it's just because 
the Kenyan Athletic Association, the Kenyan Olympic program is so screwed up and their selection process is so asinine and doesn't make any freaking sense. And it's that's the sense of not fairness. So anyway, I'm going off on a wide tangent here basically to say I don't give a damn whether it's fair or not. These guys are kicking ass and taking names, and I didn't mean to denigrate either of those programs and certainly not to denigrate Scott Simmons and what he's been able to do with that program. Mostly, I think it's awesome stuff. And so, Sophia, unfortunately, I wasn't able to give you sort of the probably the edge you were looking for in your paper to be able to have an argument. Um, I'm sure they'll find many, many people out there that will be happy to tell you why they don't think it's fair. But I don't really think it's a question of fairness. And if I did say that, I retract it and step back from my statement. Long. I'm, <laughs> I'm done. I'm off my soapbox. We... I mean, we've mostly only given props to that group. Maybe in that episode, you kind of. But I think even in that episode, I think you, you, you kind of talked out of both sides of your mouth. I, like, which well, I always do. It's yes. awesome. Yeah, she might have. I think she might have. What they're selected. doing is unbelievable, and you know, you could say it's not fair because of the fast track to citizenship through the U.S. Army. I think that's the part to me that's a little strange. Right. It's like these guys basically get to join the army to become citizens, to race for their country, but they don't really have to necessarily fulfill their army obligations unless they don't run fast. So that's just kind of a weird loophole in the whole immigration citizenship thing, especially in the context of all the debates we're having around immigration and citizenship out there with the wall and Trump and all this other stuff. So I think that's the part that's just a little bizarre. And I don't know that it's necessarily unfair from an athletic standpoint, but it may be unfair from a just immigration policy standpoint to have this like loophole. Maybe I don't know. And you know, Chalimo said it best. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to die for my country. So <laughs> yeah. anybody that's questioning whether or not now Chalimo, we know he's that's a dude who'll say damn near anything. It seems like, which is why we love him so much. But you know, he's saying if you need if we go to war, I'm going to be on the front lines. I'm ready to die for my country. So. I yeah. take him at his word. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens when, you know, something happens in North Korea, how how quick he is to step <laughs> up and stand up and deliver. But, you know, he's doing – the bar is being raised for American distance running with these athletes coming in. American athletes have to race against Kenyans at the highest level no matter what or Ethiopians at no matter what. So guess what? It's good for American distance running. Bring yeah. it on. Yeah, bring it on. It'll raise the game of everybody's game, so why not? So that's a long way of saying we do support Scott Simmons and his group. And one thing, though, Sophia, I'm not sure that Dan Brown coaches that group. So I'm not sure you stated that. You run, you're you the one writing the paper, so you might know more. But I think Scott coaches both of those two groups. Dan just Brown a, has been involved. Yes, I know that. But well, he was know, involved at the very beginning. I don't know what his involvement is now. Yeah, I don't know that he's question. a coach, but it, it doesn't really matter. Okay, so we'll go to the next question. Thank you, Sophia. To, for allowing us to witness Steve backpedal. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun. In my defense, I probably <laughs> talked out of both sides of my mouth, you which did. may be even worse, we but anyway. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a little Steve-isms for you there. All right, next one is from Katie, who's from Michigan. And she actually, hey, this is a question about her son. By the way, she gave us a shout-out for going to do the Martian Marathon up there that was cool she's like i don't know how you found that one but hey hey we've got some we've got some serious researchers in our group so anyway her question is about her son who's a high school senior and he wants to run in college at potentially the d2 level 
and he's right now he's been running since basically junior high. He's as fast as on his team. You know, he's kind of shown continuous progress through his college career, and he's trying to decide where to go to school. You know, to run basically. And so she asks, she says, "Here's my question," and then asks five questions, but. I'm going to read them all and we can kind of talk about it. She says, what should he be looking for in a quality running program at the collegiate level? What questions should he be asking the coaching staff? What schools are out there with quality running programs? Any Michigan schools particularly, she asks. Where might I look to compare college programs? Any ideas on how to score scholarship dollars? He's been offered a two-year full ride to a local community college but doesn't think he he will grow or be challenged as an athlete there. So you used to coach at the University of Texas, women's cross country. So you've been in this game. What advice would you have for Katie and her son, Chris? The first thing is your son, you and your son, your son needs to be in the driver's seat of this process. So, um, that doesn't mean that you don't help him, but you need, she needs to make him, you need to make him an active participant in this. Um, I say that because as a collegiate coach, um, it's very hard to pay attention to all the athletes. And if he's not winning a state championship or he's not at the highest level, even if he's going to be th- considering going to a D2 school, coaches may not be able to find them. And we're, we do a lot of research. We do our homework. We go to races, but it's really hard to look at every prospect that there is. So my recommendation is, first of all, realize that you're going to have to, he's going to have to drive this process and he needs to contact the programs that he's interested in at whatever level they are. That's the most important thing. Get active, get involved, and don't be afraid to toot your own horn when it comes to telling what you've done and how you've done it. That doesn't mean send an email every week. All right, That's not going to work very well. It's going to put you in a bad spot. But what it means is get out there, look at the programs, know, think about where you want to go, and think about what you want to do. So how do you decide how you, where you want to go? Go to the go decide if your son is going to be competing at a national level or regional level or a local level. So if he's going to compete at the national level, then just go to the D2 national championships, go through the next last five to ten years, and look at the results. And you're going to find pretty quickly in the, in the area, in, this, in the discipline that your son wants to run, if he's an 815 person, Look at that. If he's a 5K, 10K steeplechaser, look in those disciplines and go and look at the results. I mean, they, they pretty much show you after a while. After five to ten years, you'll see the programs. We talk about Michigan. We talk about Colorado. We talk about the teams that produce at a high level consistently, Oregon, year after Adam year after State year. At Adam State at the D2 level. You look at it year after year after year. There's a reason why that happens. And, um, and, and look at the programs that are competing at the highest level consistently. If your son wants to be at the regional level, then go to the D2 regional cross-country, regional cross uh, track and field meets and look and see who's succeeding there. What you want to be looking for is the teams that are seeing success because being a walk-on or a law and scholarship athlete at a school that has success is going to be much better in the long-term development than being the best runner at a school that, that that's not competitive. Um, the only caveat to that is twofold. There are only two caveats to that. Number one, the academics are appropriate because honestly, at the end of the day, your son's not going to school to be a runner because he's not as that in that famous ad that's NCAA ad. You're not going to go professional in running likely. Right. You're going to go professional in whatever your professional career is. So pick the schooling and the academic place that makes most sense for what you're doing. The second thing is the personality of the coach. 
if your son links and connects on one of the visits with a coach that may not have a pedigree or may not have results, but is a younger coach or an older coach that has had some success but not a ton of it, but they click, but your son clicks with them and feels like they're going to get the best attention, the most attention, or the most someone who will understand them as an athlete. That is even probably more important than actually seeing the great results from a program because it really is a coach-athlete relationship. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know Chris and I have talked many, many times about how important that coach-athlete relationship is and you want your son to have the most positive coach-athlete relationship that he can because every the athletes that I've known for years, they love their program or they hate their program based on the coach-athlete relationship. So that's crucial. So if you find that, that's another thing that should be looked at. Um so that was a many point question. So give me another. Well, I, th- I mean, I think you essentially answered it because, you know, we kind of covered off on a lot of things. And one of the things she asked is what questions should you ask of the coach to try to figure out if that bond is possible? Well, first of all, philosophy matters. So your son needs to know what his basic what he thinks works. And if he doesn't, then he needs to listen to our podcast. <laughs> can make him make him do some homework and listen to it because we've got an idea that we think is important from a philosoph- philosophical standpoint. But if your son believes that matters, miles matter, and is sort of volume oriented in his approach, he shouldn't go to a program that's all that's all intensity because there's going to be serious conflict in that program all along, and it's not going to work for him, and it's going to create a lot of a lot of negativity. So the first thing is. What is the basic philosophy of that program, and does it is it in alignment with the results that your son has gotten, and the th- what he thinks is good? It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what your son has done. It could be that's where, what he wants to do, and so you need to know, he needs to know what that is. Other questions that need to be asked are: How does the coach determine who travels to go to a meet? If that's an important thing, and you might think that just seems like a pretty a pretty specific question. But it really will immediately go to the approach of that coach of whether he's going to do things based on some kind of pecking order or if he's going to and, and he's going to do it based on a quote unquote fairness principle, which is results matter. Or if he's not the person or she's not the person that makes the decision of who gets on that travel squad, they'll tell they'll probably tell you, well, we'll decide that when we get to it. So the answer to that question of how do you determine who travels and who makes a team is an important question to ask because it'll give you a better idea of what the power structure is there. Which reminds me of another thing, Chris. If, you have, if you're looking at a program that has a head coach, that if the coach that you're going to go, the program that you're going to go to, if that coach is the head coach of the program, that is way better than if they're an assistant coach of the program. Even in my situation where I, where I was an assistant coach, my head coach made the final decisions in every regard. And I did everything I possibly could to vouch for my athletes and do everything I could for them. But at the end of the day, I wasn't making the final decision. That head coach was, and that was a sprint coach. And many of my athletes were deeply frustrated, and I was deeply frustrated. And so and I, as I recruited longer, I told my athletes at the end of that is, listen, there are going to be hard decisions that have to get made that I won't be the final arbiter. I'll fight for you for the best that I can. So just recognize that as something that might be a challenge. And so... I know one or two girls went to Rice because the head coach there was was the distance coach, distance. and he was making the decisions. And I couldn't begrudge them that, that decision. I thought they were wise in the reasoning for that. So, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why you'll want to pick a school. It's academics, it's athletics, it's performance. But th- those are some of the basic questions I would ask. I think you implied it there, but whether the track and field program is sprint-focused or distance-focused is important. Obviously, if you're going to Colorado – distance is king if you're going to the university of texas 
unfortunately, sprints are king. Yeah, and if your son has, if your son's looking at long, long-term development as well, because you know, just because your son may not be an All-American or make a travel squad at some point in time doesn't mean that he can't be a. You know, we've I've seen people who I there's no reason why he couldn't run 220. He couldn't get a Belson qualifier. He couldn't run. 225, 220, 215 for the marathon. Who knows? We've seen American America's riddled with history of people who get better as they go if they believe in the aerobic principles you and I talk about. So if there's a long-term development thing that's there as well, I would also suggest looking at high altitude and looking at altitude locations. So somewhere like Adams State or Western State, both of which are at in Colorado at a high altitude, extended experience and extended periods of time at high altitude, talking about a four- to five-year period, is a huge game changer for long-term aerobic development for athletes. So that's another thing to consider. If your son has to walk on at a school like that, it, it won't hurt to be um, in Alamosa, Colorado, or um, at Western State. It, 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 uh, I can't remember where it is off the top of my head. My head is my, my brain is farting. I want to say Crested Butte, but it's not in Crested Butte. It's this town that's right there. Anyway, but those though, that might be a reason why you might choose a program that was – that your son might not be able to compete at because he's looking at long-term development. And that's also looking at coaches who might be able to be in that regard. So well, there you go. you're the expert on this, but I want to make two points. One, you said don't forget about the academics because most likely your son's not going to be a professional athlete. And even if they are, frankly, running is not the place where there's going to be a lot of lucrative dollars no. to be had. So even, you know, so really it's only the, the top, 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 point oh something percent of people that are making a living true living a sustainable living running and so and i can give you sure five of them that i know that went to a d2 school <laughs> right right five so, total so yeah. so just consider that that it's not just about the running result but also what he wants to do beyond the running if running doesn't become the thing that makes him a lot of money and the second thing which isn't a question that she asked but i also just want to make a point is that sometimes we've had the question asked, well, how do I, if I have a young middle schooler or high schooler who's interested in running, what do I do to cultivate that? And obviously, you know, if you have a cross country program and all of that, that's great. But sometimes people come and they ask, well, before that, you know, I have a eight year old, almost nine year old at home. And I'm starting to think about, well, if he's interested in running, what should I be doing with him to cultivate that in him? And the point I want to make there is that and this you'll see across a lot of sports, just getting them, getting them to do a lot of things. For me, I grew up playing soccer from the age of five on. So I had aerobic development from that that has now paying dividends for me. Two 45-minute fart licks. <laughs> yeah. Many, how many times a week? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so just give your kids the opportunity to move through space in a lot of different sports, ideally aerobic ones, you know, I think basketball and soccer are your two best sort of aerobic-based traditional sports. But lacrosse is another good one. Ultimate frisbee. I mean, there's lots of different ways to develop aerobic fitness where it doesn't feel like you're running. And so I would encourage parents out there that are listening, if they have younger kids, just to get your kids involved in aerobic sports that they enjoy and then get out of the way and then let the running kind of come naturally. So that's enough on that. Thank you, Katie, for your question. Hopefully we got some tips for you that will be helpful you're probably in that window of starting to make decisions here in january if not already so 
good luck to you and Chris. We'd love to hear what he ends up going with there from a school perspective. Okay, last question, Steve, isn't so much a question. I guess the overarching question from Sean is really what should I do with my training? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some some background and context and then we can talk about it. I've exchanged a few emails with Sean, so so I've already given him a little bit of guidance. But he basically said, Look, I want I wanna run a certain time in the half marathon. And at the time he was saying his goal was one forty three for the half he was when he first emailed me about a month out from this 143 half he's since completed the race and i'll tell you about that in a second but he's trying to run a 143 half and he's saying look i have a really busy schedule my my work schedule is crazy i can only run three or four times a week and you know it can be difficult to get a really good long run in those were sort of the constraints that he laid out and he's like, what can I do? Can I train and improve in the half only running three to four times a week? And he said, I only have three to four hours. So like hour long sessions, three to four times a week. So then he did his race. He ended up getting a 146.48 instead, so instead of a yep. 143. I had advised him that if he was going to do anything, emphasize the long run, you know, as we've talked about earlier for Stefan. So he missed his goal. His first mile of that race was a 7.37. His last mile was a 9.05. That first mile was his second fastest mile of the race. <laughs> so we've got some race strategy things to mention here. But basically he says, look, you know, now if I want to get to that 143, given my constraints, what do I need to do? And I'm going to start here because I already have a little bit of an yep. email relationship with Sean. And the first point I'm going to make to Sean is that I think you would have run a 143 if you hadn't run a fucking stupid race. Probably. <laughs> I mean, he ran a 737 first mile and basically got slower every mile. What's even splits for 143? From there on out. I, it's I'll just under it eight. It's uh, 750s. Okay. So, yep. If I'm doing my quick coach... Half marathon math. Roughly 750s. Because, yeah, that's right. So roughly w 750. And he started 13 seconds per mile too fast. Or faster than that. With minimal aerobic development. With minimal aerobic development. And then, you know, faded. His last three miles were... 855, 836, <laughs> 830, his last point one, 905. So, you know, he, he was giving back minutes, literally yep. over a minute per mile almost at the end. So the first thing here, Sean, is that you got to work on running a smart race. Like you probably could have had the 143 had you not been giving. You, you gave back basically three minutes in the last three miles. Yeah, you go out at 815 or 810 and – progress as the race goes don't get too far behind it and then go chase it in the last two so miles yeah so that's point one started too fast just started a little slower than that target pace worked down to it held it and then closed the end if you'd done that i think you would have actually had your 143 second point to make i think for sean is asking the question how bad do you want it 
You're telling me you only have three to four hours of Why training. Why are you listening to our hour and a half podcast <laughs> if you're not? You've spent that time training. <laughs> maybe <laughs> or maybe he is maybe doing he that is both. On the run. He's probably doing both at maybe the same time. Maybe he's doing it on the run. <laughs> but, you know, how bad do you want it? Because I would imagine, and I don't know Sean's situation. I know, you know, he's probably got a crazy job, but he didn't give me a lot of detail and context on what else makes his life crazy and why he only has three to four hours, three to four sessions to train each week. But I'm a busy guy. I got three kids. I've got a business. I've got 100 plus athletes I coach. Two podcasts. Two podcasts. (laughs) So (laughs) I understand busy. And, And I'm not trying to draw a direct comparison i'm just saying and i also know a lot of busy people including we coach you know people that i coach that are running 70 plus miles a week with more kids than i have and crazier jobs you know perhaps Mm -hmm. so i gotta ask sean how bad do you want it because i would imagine if you prioritize running in a different way you could do more than what you're telling me you can do and that might mean being smarter and creative about how you do it it might mean running to work for example Instead of commuting another way, it, there's lots of different ways to slice it. But I think Sean needs to ask himself, what can I do to add more training volume and more training time if this is really going to be important to me? Otherwise, what's the point? And some of that, I'm sure I can't imagine a job alone that would do that. And my guess is it's family. And it also how bad you want it asks you to, you know, communicate with your wife about what that how important this is to you and how much it brings you it brings you pleasure and brings you benefit and brings great a, a, a great return of investment for your family and see if there's things that you can do for her that allow her to have some time alone um, and that you could do over the weekend because the weekend is where you need the time and it, you've got to have a crazy biz family scenario if if that's the challenge so um, you know don't don't be afraid to ask the people in your life to help with carving some time out. Yep. But that's just... Because it'll pay back. Yep. And so uh, related to that question of how bad you want it is, spend some time, Sean, thinking about your purpose. What do you want from this? And then communicate and share that with those around you and tell them, hey, this is important to me and here's why. Whether that's your family, your friends, your people at work, they're going to understand and they're going to help you be creative about how to prioritize things in order to get more work done. And then the last point, which is honestly the least important, really, is the training stuff. Because, I mean, if you can line up those other things, I think the training stuff will take care of itself. Well, it's really sort of a f- return to the first question about the tri- for the, that we had with the triathlete, Chris. If you only have four hours, then we, you can tell you we're going to ask you to go an hour and a half to two hours in your long run. I mean, Yeah, and then do three other 30-minute runs <laughs> or something. And, and then we can, you could... You could play with doing that as a threshold run you can play with doing that as a hard fart like or doing it as a going to the track and hitting some hard quarters there's a lot of ways to cut that thing up but yeah i mean i would say that invest in in the long run as the most important piece of the puzzle there as we just as we advised our triathlete friend full stop i don't think there needs to be more said there so sean we tell you that with a little bit of tough love because we appreciate you listening and because we're coaches and we don't know how to do anything but say honest things, <laughs> that's how we roll. So well, and if you've listened to our podcast with Kevin Leahy on it, be grateful that you're not talking to him <laughs> because he'd be Socratic method you to death and tell you what you really care about. I spent an hour and a half to two hours talking with Kevin on a business 
idea I had at one point, and holy smokes, did that guy ask me a billion questions. And what I came down to at the end of it with that method that he utilized, which was basically the Socratic method, just asking you, what do you want, what do you want, what do you want, what do you want, what do you really want, what do you really want, what do you really want, why, 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 over and over and over and over and over and over again, that you'll come to an answer, you'll come to realize what really matters to you. And if it's not running, that's cool too. I mean, it doesn't have to be this. We're big believers, and I do believe universally moving through space is one of the top three commandments. I mean, I, I honestly think the Ten Commandments should have had move through space as one of the top Ten Commandments. <laughs> right there along with do not murder, right? Like Thou shalt move through space. Thou shalt move through space. That should have been an, a commandment. <laughs> but, I love it. But, even, but maybe this isn't the thing for you, and four hours is better spent in some other, other area. So that's another thing, you know, Chris, this is the, one of the ways I like to mess with my athletes' heads is by saying, well, what if I took it away from you? And that's another thing you might a- he might ask himself, Chris, is what if that were gone? Because that also helps really lock into why you do it and why you want it, as, that, as you've used many times when you go through the statement of purpose stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, what if it were gone? What would you do? And maybe you've got another hour or two hours. Because really, Chris, I've coached many people that train three to four days a week to success. I usually say 40 miles a week is kind of my number. You know, that's my rule at Team Rogue because we – because we do so much work. But I, I do think people can get away with three to four days a week and be successful runners. But they have to be used wisely. And a, a, a budget of four hours a week is going to be very difficult to improve for an athlete that's already basically a sub-four-hour marathoner. Because that's pretty much like a what? A conv- equivalent to about a 335 or so marathoner probably. 335, so, 340. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's... Yeah. So... Keep fighting the good fight, Sean. Hopefully, keep fighting the good fight, Sean. We're you, not trying to discourage yeah, you. We're, we're trying to encourage you. Exactly, exactly. In our tender, loving, straightforward, no bullshit kind of way. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody. That, that those were our listener questions. That's cool. We, we actually had more, but the, those were the six we picked this time. Do email us Chris at roguerunning.com or Steve Sisson, all one word at roguerunning.com, and maybe you'll make it on our next listener question podcast. How many minutes are we in? An hour and twenty. All right, so we're gonna do one big, quick, 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 self. Another quick self-serving pitch, not for me, but for us. Okay. Chris and I just want to tell you how much fun we're having with our podcast training group. I mean, they ask a lot of questions, Chris, but man, if they aren't killing it and they aren't enjoying it, and I'm just saying, those of you who decided to to miss the boat on that one you missed out this has turned into this is not a dud this is a resounding positive thing and we'll we'll really count we'll really count our chickens once we get our race results right but so far we're having fun and i think our athletes are having fun with it and um it's just a a, a, a mid-season pitch for future podcasts that we do. I just thought about it as you said yep. something about it earlier. And but they are a hardcore bunch of badass athletes that are man, training they in are. all kinds of crazy weather with these winter things that we've been having, bomb cyclones and sub-freezing temps. They're getting it done in all of that, and it's really cool, really inspiring. We'll be sharing more as we go about that group, but do stay tuned because we'll no doubt have more podcast training options coming in the future. So there you go. That's it. That's a wrap for today. Episode 57. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.